Welcome to Sermons by Brad Tuttle. We are so glad you decided to join us today. We know you're going to be encouraged, inspired, and challenged by this powerful sermon. So somebody's going to say, Pastor, goodness gracious, man, I'm here. Why are you doing this one to me? Uh, At least I came. But uh, I just got to be led. And I just realized this is actually the first Sunday of the year. And um, uh, we're going to see Jesus in his uh, role as evangelist. That's the way I I felt it when I was standing over here. If you have a Bible, turn it to Matthew chapter 7. I'm also going to have the verses will come up on the screen. to look at if you Bible or not have a Bible, but we bring those up, and I have some quotes I'll bring up there. Um, but obviously the title of our sermon is, Which Foundation is Yours? Which Foundation is Yours? Matthew 7. Our, our focus verses today are going to be verses 24 through 27. A really, really popular, well-known, everybody knows it, uh, parable, we would call it, um, that Jesus taught about two builders building two different houses. And he's going to talk to us about that, about the foundations that they are built on. I I want you to know that I put study into this. I put research into this. And it's my desire. And it's, I live in a, I live in a holy fear of preaching the word and teaching the word off of my own opinion. And I always laugh because when you go to the gun range, every, all, it's a funny thing, we always say, everybody has an opinion. <laughs> you know, you bring your thing and everybody goes, well, I like that but, but I got but, but mine is but, I'm going to get but. And you're like, everybody's got an opinion, but we can't have multiple opinions on the Word of God. There's, a, there's an interpretation of Scripture that's the proper way to interpret it. And you can't bring it in and go, well, I don't like that. I want, I, want to, I want to add my opinion into it. We can't play that game with God's Word. It's what God says. It's what the Word of God says. That's why you've got to be very careful about who you read and how they interpret the Word of God. Because there's teachers that are well-known. They're even going to be on TV that don't interpret Scripture correctly. And different denominations interpret things differently. Pentecostals, uh, Baptists, Charismatics, uh, Methodists, everybody has different Reformed, we all have different ways, but there is a way that a scripture verse should be interpreted. Not many ways, a way. And I try the best I can to make sure that I'm bringing you accurately God's Word. I stand uh, in a place of being accountable to bringing you the Word the wrong way. And I say all that to say that these are not easy words for many people to hear. And again, you're going to say, why? I'm here. I, why, why are you doing this to me? Because maybe it's to let us all know. Maybe someone needs to be challenged. Maybe we need to hear it about someone else's life needs to be challenged. Or just where the body of Christ is in general. Um, so which foundation is yours? And before we get into verses 24 through 27, we have to always preach in context, which means we have to see the verses, what they say before it and what they say after it. So in order to keep... Verses 24 through 27 in context, we need to read what comes before it. And I know a lot of you probably already know this. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. 
what they say the greatest sermon ever preached. And Jesus has talked about, he's pastorally dealt with um, marriage, uh, do good to please God, love your enemies, go the second mile, um, adultery in the heart, uh, laying up treasures in heaven, fasting, don't fast just to be seen by men, uh, you cannot serve God in riches, do not worry. So he's dealt with all these, do not judge, the narrow ways, dealt with all these things, keep asking, seeking, and knocking. So he's dealt with a lot of pastoral things, and then it seems to me he kind of ends this powerful sermon uh, very evangelistically, and they say that last things spoken are always important to remember. The last things someone speaks, and the last words he speaks in this sermon are these. Verses 21 through 23. Let's look at those first. It says this. Not everyone. Not everyone. This is not me preaching this. This is Jesus preaching these words. So hear these words and hear them interpreted correctly. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Whenever that word is used twice or in repetition, it means that it's trying to show us that these people thought they were intimate with Jesus. Lord, Lord. Yes, they're rec- trying to recognize who He is, but they're saying, I'm intimate with you. And He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, will enter. Verse 22, many, it says, somebody say many. Many will say to me on that day, what day? That's the day of the great white judgment where unbelievers will be judged. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform Many miracles. One commentator said this, and I put it on the screen. All that these individuals did, they did ostensibly or supposedly in the name of Jesus, acting as if they were his legitimate representatives. They spoke the correct religious dialect. They carried out the correct religious activities and ostensibly or supposedly did so for the right reasons. And yet they were veritable or absolute evangelical imposters and church charlatans for their hearts had never been changed by grace through faith. That should make us weep that there are people sitting in church today who will say, Lord, Lord, have I not done this? And he will look at them and say what we're going to read he's going to say. Amen. Amen. Someone asked me yesterday, a guy, I was somewhere, and he asked me, what are you going to preach on Sunday morning? He goes, you preaching tomorrow at your church? I said, yeah. He goes, what are you going to preach on? I said, I'm going to preach on Matthew 7. I'm going to talk about two foundations. I'm going to talk about people say, Lord, Lord, I've done all these things in your name. And he's going to say, I've never known you depart from me. He's going to go, do you think there's a lot of people like that? I said, absolutely, I believe there's a lot. I said, it's not me. The Bible says it, many. I didn't say it. Jesus said many. He says the road to eternal life is what? It's narrow. Few find it. 
but wide and broad is the road to destruction. I didn't say these things. He did. Why the first of the year? Why this Sunday are we hearing this? I don't know. Maybe it's just for the Holy Spirit to kick us in the rear and get us going. Maybe it's making us want to go evangelize. Maybe it's waking us up or I don't know. However the Spirit's going to work in each of us, he's going to do it. So these were what we call professors of faith in Christ, not in the sense of being a teacher. But they professed it. They didn't possess Christ. We use those, that terminology, you're a professor or you're a possessor. They weren't truly saved because they never truly believed in Christ as their Savior. You go to church all your life. That's why people come to me, and this is not a slide on anybody. This is not, I'm not saying, this in a general sense, when someone says to me, well, I go to this church, that means absolutely nothing to me. I don't care how big your church is you went to, you go to. I don't care who your pastor is. That means nothing to me. Because there will be people sitting in the largest churches in America with the most televised man speaking on that's ever in the whole world, and they'll be sitting there lost. They're in the church, but they're lost. Few will find the narrow road. Is this okay? Stuff? Okay. So thusly, the term professors in contrast to true possessors of Christ as Savior. They thought they did. They did stuff. Someone says, but they did all these miracles. We're going to see that too. Just because someone has miraculous powers or has performed miraculous things, it's all through the Bible, doesn't mean they know Christ personally. They don't give proof of authentic faith. Many in the first century claim miraculous powers. The musicians at Pharaoh's court um, sometimes succeeded. But here's the thing here. The claim here is centered around the phrase... In your name. So I think they thought, well, I'm saying this, or I did it in his name. There's a lot of things supposedly done in the name of Jesus that are not of Jesus. Just like there's a lot of things done in the Holy Spirit that are, uh, that are definitely not of the Holy Spirit. Spurgeon. Anybody trust what Spurgeon says? I trust a lot of what he says. He said, they used the name which is dear to the disciples of Christ, but they did not possess the nature of disciples. They used Christ's name, for they said to him, Have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? They knew Christ's name, but they had not known his nature. They quoted his name, but they never copied his example. They had never come to him and trusted and loved him. They knew his name, but they did not know him. And he knew their names, but he did not know them. There was no communion, no intimate relationship between them. It can look really good, and you can say all the right things, and you can quote scripture verses, and you can even go to church every Sunday morning, but that does not mean you're saved. We're going to see it. It's powerful. And please note that they said, we prophesied in your name. And Jesus doesn't deny their claims. He doesn't deny the claims of these sensational activities. Put it on the screen. This suggests that miracles may be wrought through professing believers, which should serve to remind us all that in the final analysis, miracles do not provide a valid assessment of one's heart condition. Be careful what church meetings you go to, just because they prophesy and just because they do so-called miracles does not mean they are of God. Be very careful. 
who you let speak over your life and into your life. Someone wants to give a prophetic word in here. Let's say they were a guest. They would not give that prophetic word in this place unless I even heard it first and I sensed from the Spirit that they were truly of God. I'm not going to let anybody speak over your life that doesn't know Him. Can somebody say amen to that? Verse 23. And then. Then is a, it is an adverb of time. And it's often used to bring what's next in a sequence. So now he's saying, and then. So he talks about, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, in your name perform many miracles. And then, he says, I will declare to them, even though you've done all these things, and you say you've done them in my name, you've never known me, and I have never known you. This is, this is t- terrifying. And then, and this, and this, it's, I want you to picture the scene. They're on their judgment day. The Revelations talks about there's a, call, there's a judgment, not for us, not a believer. They go to the, we go to the judgment seat of Christ, and we're judged there by things that we do. We get rewards. Amen. It's going to be an awesome time for many. Some are going to go, man, I wish I would have done more. <laughs> Stuff like that, but... Great White Throne is where I used to do, I, I did, I used to write plays and dramas uh, when I was on staff at a church in Ohio. Big, big stuff. I had actors, I had a little posse of actors, I'd get them together and give them, I, I not only did the sermons, I did the script. I put the lighting in the ceiling that was about 30 feet in the air, get on big ladders and put spotlights and all that stuff because nobody there had ever done that kind of stuff. Funny thing is, when people get married, they start asking me to marry them and they'd want me to be like their marriage, their wedding planner so I didn't want light and everybody's anyway so I got all these dramas one of them was about the great white throne judgment and I was trying to show people the harrowing time this would be um, standing before Jesus and remember Jesus is the judge and your name won't be in the book if you've never known him the name isn't there and he's simply going to say depart from me I've never known you you who practice lawlessness whether you think you prophesied or laid hands on the sick, or whatever you did, it doesn't mean you know him. And he said, depart from me. And someone, if we take, I'll be honest with you if, you, if this doesn't hit you right now, if you're in here, and you're a believer, and this is ho-humming you, this is yawning you, I'm telling you something right now, you need to wake yourself up, because he said, I never knew you, depart from me. Do you know anybody around you in your life that thinks they're a believer, but they don't show the will of God? They don't show obedience to the things of God? That's a scary place to be. Never means not at any time, never at all did I know you. The point is that, hear this very clearly, the point is that they were not once saved persons who then fell into sin and thereby lost their salvation. They simply were never saved at any time because genuine salvation can never be lost. If you are truly born again, you cannot lose that. He's not going to take the spirit out of you that he put in you when you were converted. Somebody say amen. My goodness, we limit the cross and the power of it so much. When you are saved, you are saved. Somebody say I'm saved. Well, you're saved, you're saved. So that's not these people here. They weren't saved no matter what they did. So with this great truth we just learned, let's get into our main verses if that wasn't enough. Amen. So let's read verses 24 through 27. Here's our word here, therefore. It's a term of conclusion. 
Yeah, he's concluding the Sermon on the Mount, but he's also making a point. He's going to reemphasize what he just said. Because I just told you guys, people say to me all the time, Lord, Lord. Remember, he's sitting on a mountaintop talking to the multitudes of people. And he's saying, just, I, I, I just told you that people are going to come to you. And, and he's probably, think about what they were thinking. Many have said to me, Lord, Lord. And he's saying, and I've had to say to them, I've never known you. Depart from me. He goes, therefore... Let me reemphasize my point. Everyone who hears these words of mine, this ought to make you feel really good, and, and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. So then how important is obedience? How important is obedience as a man or woman of God? We get saved being obedient to the things of God. I know we all have a stage in life. We first come to the Lord, we're, we're what the Bible talks about, we're infants, we're just learning, we're just, we don't know a lot, we make a lot of mistakes, but, but we're still, we can still be saved and be in that infancy stage, right? But then we grow, that's why y'all come to church, we grow, we learn, we, we mature into men and women of God, where you now turn into someone who's discipling other people, amen? amen? So, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. What's the rock? Jesus. Verse 25, and the rain, oh, this is awesome. This should, this should make you do a hoop and holler. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet, mine's italicized, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Amen. Founded on the rock. He's going to make very clear here in these next statements, and this one in and coming up, that there's no middle ground between profession and possession of kingdom life. There's no middle ground. You are a professor or you are a possessor. You either have kingdom life or you don't have kingdom life. Amen. He's reemphasizing this crucial need for genuine, not artificial obedience to his word in order for one to enter the kingdom of heaven. Hearing the word, I put it on the screen. Hearing the word and even approving of it is not sufficient unless it is accompanied by obedience. So what does this make us do? It should make each one of us, even though we know if you're in here, you say, I know I'm saved. It should still make us, well, am I being obedient? I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it, it shows fruit in our lives. Obedience shows fruit. Where you're saved, there's fruit. So he says, therefore, everyone. So there's no room for exceptions. This is everyone. Therefore, everyone. Everybody must pass the test of application. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, hears. This word here in the Greek means it means to hear with attention, to hear effectually, as to perform or grant what is spoken. And notice that both builders heard the same message. The difference is that this builder we just read about heard it and responded in faith. He became a what of the word? A doer of the word. The builder placed his trust in the Lord, while the other one heard the same message, placed his confidence in himself. He built his house on sand. Who hears these? So Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rains fell. One commentator who I respect very much said, a striking picture of two classes of hearers. 
those who hear and do nothing, and those who hear and do. They are both placed before us and their histories traced to their respective ends. Lord, Lord, many will say to me, he said, Lord, Lord, have I not done these things? Jesus said, I have never known you. I talk to my mom all the time, and she's 86 years old. She just, it's about the church and about her pastor. I said, I said, Mom, the church doesn't save you. I said, your pastor doesn't save you. I said, you're not saved because you stand up in a liturgical service and read out of a bulletin about being forgiven. It doesn't save you. Do you know Christ? Have you believed? 86 years old, tomorrow could be your day. Tomorrow. Do you know Christ? Are you a Lord, Lord, have I not gone to church? Have I not given money? Have I not drank some juice at communion? Have I not, have I not been a good person? I've never known you. I've never known you. This is simple to understand. The man or woman who hears Christian teaching and practices what they hear are like a wise man who built his house on a rock. This is not my words. This is Jesus ending this incredible sermon with, oh, let me finish with this. <laughs> and, you know, I, I've, been accu- I've been accused of, I'm not going to go here anymore because that's too much in my face. And, uh, well, you know, I've dealt with that. I will probably always deal with that because I'm not going to change to fit other people's mode of how they think I need to be. Um, but Jesus, this is as straightforward as you can get. And remember, he's, even though he's sitting down, he, it, says he, it says, and people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So even as he was sitting, that authority was coming out. If you feel something right now, imagine what they felt. Amen. Here's the thing. These people didn't content themselves with listening to exhortations to repent, believe in Christ, and live a holy life. These people who built their life on the rock. They actually repent. They actually believe. They actually cease to do evil, learn to do well, abhor that which is sinful, and cleave to that which is good. They are a doer as well as a hearer. There's a lot of good talk going on in churches today. Remember, the Bible says that in the last days, people will try to find teachers that tickle their ears. So sometimes you need to wonder, why is that church so big? They look for teachers who will tickle. Oh, that's funny. That's good. I like that. makes me feel good. And they don't want to hear stuff that hits them right. You know what I really find? I find men. Someone told me one time, well, men want to be under a strong man. Mm -mm. I have not found that in church. I found most men do not want to be under a strong man in the pulpit. Because it shows, sometimes it silhouettes them. I'm not, what am I, my life isn't. So you know what, I'm out of here. Speaking truth is what I've seen. So what's the result? In their time of trial, their belief does not fail them. If your life is built on the rock, your belief will not fail you. Some may say amen to that. 
Floods of sickness, hear me, floods of sickness, sorrow. Do we get sick? Do we ever have sorrow? Do we ever have, are there people in, a, in the world today who are actual believers who are living in poverty? Yes. Do we have disappointments? Anybody been disappointed this week? Are you disappointed in me about this sermon? Doesn't matter. Do you ever had a grief beat upon you? If you're built on the rock, your soul will never be moved. Your faith never gives away. You always are able to stand strong when you're built upon the rock. And I repeat, the test, the mark, the evidence, the proof of the two builders and the two buildings is the hearing of Christ's sayings and doing them or the hearing of Christ's sayings and not doing them. An illustration of a call for hearing to be followed by doing. I'm going to read you this excerpt from a book. It's given by Chuck Swindoll. I really respect uh, Chuck Swindoll. This is a book called Improving Your Serve. And it goes like this. Let's pretend that you work for me. In fact, you are my executive assistant in a company that is growing rapidly. I'm the owner, and I'm interested in expanding overseas. To pull this off, I make plans to travel abroad and stay there until the new branch office gets established. I make all the arrangements to take my family in the move to Europe for six to eight months, and I leave you in charge of the busy stateside organization. I tell you that I will write you regularly and give you direction and instructions. I leave you, I leave and you stay. Months pass. A flow of letters are mailed from Europe and received by you at the national headquarters. I spell out all my expectations. Finally, I return. Soon after my arrival, I drive down to the office. I am stunned. Grass and weeds have grown up high. A few windows along the street are broken. I walk into the receptionist's room, and she's doing her nails, chewing gum, and listening to her favorite disco station. I think that aged in right there. I look around, and I notice the wastebaskets are overflowing. The carpet hasn't been vacuumed for weeks, and nobody seems concerned that the owner has returned. I ask about your whereabouts, and someone in the crowded lounge area points down the hall and yells, I think he's down there. Disturbed, I move in that direction and bump into you as you are finishing a chess game with our sales manager. I ask you to step into my office, which has been temporarily turned into a television room for watching afternoon soap operas. <laughs> what in the world's going on, man? What do you mean? Look at this place. Didn't you get any of my letters? Letters? Oh, yeah. Sure, we got every one of them. As a matter of fact, we have had a letter study every Friday night since you left. <laughs> we even divided all the personnel into small groups and discussed many of the things you wrote. Some of the things were really interesting. You'll be pleased to know that a few of us have actually committed to memory some of your sentences and paragraphs. One or two memorize an entire letter or two. Great stuff in those letters. Okay, okay, you got my letters. You studied them and meditated on them, discussed and even memorized them, but what did you do about them? Do? Uh, we didn't do anything about them. 
And I need to make the point that Jesus explains that a truly wise person is the one who puts his words into practice, proving that faith in Christ's finished work on the cross is genuine. You want to be a light to the world? That your life even shouts, I am of Christ? Be obedient to his word. Live according to the word. We have so much loosey-goosey, and I'm, I'm leaving this on this recording. We have so much loosey-goosey, flesh-driven living in the church today. People don't watch what they do. They don't care what they do because at the moment you try to say something to them where you don't have grace. Hey, no one knows more about amazing grace than I do being saved from being in a bar and booze and lying and cheating and all that stuff, being saved by God's grace. And look at what I'm doing now. I know God's grace, but grace doesn't mean you can do anything you want and God doesn't care. God cares and God judges. The house that is built on the rock is the life lived according to Jesus' teaching. It's a light that is built on obedience to his words. A century ago, an ocean liner sank off the southwest coast of England, taking many people down with it. A 16-year-old galley boy who was tossed up along the rugged shore survived by clinging to a rock all night long. And when he was finally rescued, he was asked, Didn't you shake as you were clinging all night to that rock? The boy replied, yes, of course, but the rock never shook once. You build your life on Christ, and your house will always stand. And in the last days and the last moments, when your life is over, you're going to go to the right judgment. Let's read verses 26 through 27. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who has built his house on the sand or self. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew. Jesus is telling us this parable and slammed against that house and it fell. And listen to these words. And great was its fall. Fool, foolish. If you don't think this is hard hitting, the Greek word that Jesus used when he called them, when he called this particular group of people foolish, that Greek word is the word moros. And it's the English word moron. It has the root meaning of deficiency and is used especially of the one who is mentally dull, silly, stupid, foolish. foolish. Such a person is considered intellectually weak irrational or lacking in foresight. With, and this is the manner moros is used by Jesus. It's the antonym of sophos, which means wise. He's saying you are, I didn't say it. He's basically telling this whole group of people, if you're building yourself on yourself, your life on what you believe, what you think, you are a fool. Moros is used to describe a person who has no respect for God. Gosh, it's powerful. Jesus says the person is foolish because he thinks that his house is secure on the sand simply because he has heard and perhaps even acknowledged externally the words of Christ. 
Same thing with salvation. You don't get saved just by hearing someone say something. You got to hear it, yes. But it's not just this. It's inside here. Has your heart really believed? The person is deceived because he or she thinks they're living the way they live is pleasing God. Um, they're self-deceived. Their confidence is not in Jesus, it's in themselves. Like that gentleman asked me yesterday, do you think there's many in church like that? I said, absolutely. And, he, I, and I didn't tell you this. I, I didn't get one response like, sounds like a great message. Or, man, I, I wish I was there. It was just like... <laughs> it's like, well, I guess, I guess he's not going to be coming. Uh, but, but hear this. this is, I, want, I want you to hear it. I'm going to kind of read it. I want you, it, it seems... It seems that this account is telling us that both builders build their houses in the same general location because they're both hit by the same storm. So think about this. In other words, the outward circumstances of their lives were essentially the same. One had no advantage over the other one. They lived in the same town, possibly, attended the same church, heard the same preaching, went to the same Bible study, and fellowship with the same friends. The differences between the two builders and their houses were not noticeable from the outside, but they were immeasurably different on the inside. The key is to understand that one does act upon God's words. The key is to understand that one does act upon God's word, obedience, and the other does not act upon God's word. You're either acting upon the word of God, or you need to check yourself. Am I... Do I see obedience in my life? Am I an obedient believer? And, well, you wouldn't be here. You're, obe- you're being obedient to something by getting up and coming to church. So, yay! <laughs> All right. Maybe you're on your way to heaven. I don't know. It looks good. Amen. You can't even go on your day and go, Lord, Lord, I heard Pastor Brad's preaching and I even said amen. (laughs) Who are you? Here's the thing. He knows your name because he's God, but he's never known you. The knowing comes from the heart, from that intimate relationship that makes the connection once you open your heart to believe or the Holy Spirit does His work, and your heart believes in faith on Christ, then, bam, there comes that, now it's there. And nothing can pull you away from Him. So, oh my gosh, let me say amen. If I said nothing else today but that, that was awesome. Spurgeon writes, the real foundation of our life is usually hidden and is only proven in the storm. So he says, I don't like storms. I don't like what I'm going through. The real foundation of your life is only proven in the storm. Don't fear, he says, or be discouraged by testings. God God allows into your life to bring you forth as precious, pure gold. Someone says, I'm tired of this trial. Let God let it happen in your life. You're going to come out better than you were when you went in it. Here's the problem. People keep going around the mountain. And they complain, and they grumble, 
and they complain and they grumble and they go around and they go around and they go around and they go around. You've got to stop going around the mountain and know who your life is built on and let him work this in your life. Somebody say amen. So let me move to a close. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Here's the point about great was its fall. A false profession will last until judgment comes. And like the person who received, there's, and we see again in, in Matthew, he talks about the seed that's sown. Um, it's sown into, shallow, into a shallow heart. Well, the commitment fails when the testing comes. Um, it's the people who have professed and not possessed. It's in Matthew chapter 13, verses 20 through 21. It says, Jesus, Jesus again is explaining that the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word, and immediately, this could be anybody that comes into a church service. Oh, that's awesome, awesome sermon. They receive it with joy, and yet has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary, and when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, Immediately he falls away. Remember, he was never saved. Those who have trusted Christ and have been obedient to his words will have nothing to fear because their house is founded on the rock and it's always going to stand. Some may say, Amen. But those who have professed to trust Christ yet who have not obeyed God, the word of God says they will be condemned. So, Pastor, that's not a very popular message, but that's God's word. That's Jesus' word. And my Bible has them in red. How shall we test our profession of faith? Everybody hear this. How shall we test our profession of faith? By popularity? No, because that road's broad. Many are going to say, Lord, Lord, that Lord, Lord is no assurance of salvation. Religious activities in a church organization are no assurance of salvation. The time is fast coming when nothing but authenticity will stand the fire. Authentic repentance towards God. Authentic faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Authentic holiness of heart and life. These, these are the things which alone will stand the judgment at the last days. Good tagline for this church could be building authentic disciples. That's what we want to do. We want to build authentic disciples. We want to build authentic disciples. I, I, I do not want to go to my judgment as a believer. I am not going to be applauded by how many people are in my church. He's not going to applaud me on the size. He's going to applaud me on my life, my preaching, that I bring people the truth. So how shall we judge ourselves and others who profess Christ as Savior? Well, these two ways tell us to examine the cost of our profession. Have we paid a price? Have we paid a price to profess faith in Christ? Are there godly fruits from our lives? And lastly, these two houses remind us that true faith in Christ will last 
not only in the storms of life, but in the final judgment. So I ask you this question. Solid rock or sinking sand? On what foundation are we choosing to build today? Which foundation is yours? Thank you for joining us at Sermons by Brad Tuttle. We pray this sermon blessed you, encouraged you, inspired you, and challenged you in your walk with Christ. Thank you for being with us. Come back and visit us anytime. God bless you.